0: Hello, LifeBridge family and friends. Hope all of you are doing well. And once again, we're grateful that you are tuning in uh, to this teaching. Uh, We pray for you often, and we certainly have prayed today already that as you listen to this, God will uh, speak to you through the the passages, through his word, which we know is alive and active. Uh, We are on week 39 of our Core 52 journey. Do you know what that means? Christmas trees and decorations are now available at your local big box store. That's what it means to be in week 39 of the year. The first day of fall was yesterday, and I walked into one of our home improvement stores and it looked like a Christmas wonderland. The trees were all out, the wreaths were out, the cinnamon was out, uh, the big blow up, the inflatable penguins and Santa Clauses, all of that was out. It looked like Christmas, it is, it's here. This 39 weeks has flown by. It's hard to believe that we're entering into uh, the last few months of the year. This has been a good journey uh, so far for our church, Uh, It's been a good journey for me personally. Uh, I know that I've benefited from the the Core 52 essays and the readings and how Mark Moore has paired things together, and I hope that this has been a good journey for you as well. Uh, This week, we continue uh, with a topic that is very much discussed within the independent Christian church. It's a topic that is often debated in multi-denominational gatherings. Whether that be uh, around the water cooler at work with some of your coworkers who may go to different churches or ministers getting together uh, from, from different denominations, it's a topic that gets discussed. I'm, I'm in a monthly discipleship network with uh, men and in my micro network there's there's men from three different denominations and you better believe we have chatted about this topic you know when you think of the list of sacraments within the the catholic and the protestant churches this topic is the second most debated one behind communion and that's baptism. Uh, If you read our essays, Mark Moore points out this from our essay, baptism is a big deal. Every church throughout Christian history has practiced it in some form, yet churches practice it in different ways and with different emphasis. So there is clearly some confusion about what it means and how we should do it. Today, we kind of want to uh, let scripture speak for itself. As a matter of fact, there's a creed within the Christian church that we strive to live out. To speak where the scriptures speak and to be silent where the scriptures are silent. And, and what this means is that we don't want to engage in debates or arguments over topics that the Bible doesn't even speak to. And We want to do due diligence on our part to allow the Bible to speak for itself. And so today, there's going to be a lot of the Bible speaking for itself. Uh, So let's talk baptism. So there's going to be four primary areas. There's four areas that I want to share with you Today about baptism. And the first area is this. What is it? <laughs> right? I mean, let's, let's all come to the same place. Let's all be on the same page as we engage in a conversation about baptism. Let's all have the same foundation, uh, starting with what is baptism? Now, Baptism gets taken out of context, as Mark Moore said, it's often confusing. Churches emphasize different things. Uh it, it just it plays a different part depending on the church that you are part of. I, I know that for me I grew up in the independent Christian church and we would always go to church camp. Uh grew up going to North Georgia Christian camp. And baptism was uh was a big deal. Uh it, it was always the highlight of the week. Uh, but baptism also took on a different form uh, as a middle schooler and as a as a teenager. Baptism was the excuse that we would give to the lifeguards when us uh, rambunctious boys would be in the pool and we 'd be horse playing and we 'd be dunking each other and they would blow their whistle, quit doing that, and we 'd be like oh but we 're just baptizing johnny uh, that 's all we 're doing like it's it's it 's sacred it's it 's okay and of course, the lifeguard would always go back well." Hey, there shouldn't be that big a splash and you shouldn't be holding them underwater for 20 seconds. That's not baptism. If you grew up in churches that were built in the 60s and the 70s or 80s, baptism is the, is the event that takes place at the end of the service in the huge tub of water behind the preacher. And yes, that's exactly what that is right there in that space. That is our huge tub of water. And if you're a fancy church, if you're, if you're a church that might have some deeper pockets, that water was heated. You have a heater on your baptistry. And so when you walk down into that water, it's nice and it's comfortable. It's more like a hot tub than it is um, a cold river. And I'm pretty sure when the most famous baptism of all time took place, that it was not in heated water. As a matter of fact, it took place in the Jordan River. Uh, The first passage I want to share with you is that is that very uh, baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And so Jesus is uh, moving into the adulthood part of his life and he's about to kick off his ministry. Uh, He he starts this by modeling uh, what is to be done. And so this sacred act of baptism isn't something that he asked us to do and he himself didn't do. He models it for us. The, The word baptize. If you if you take it in the Greek, the word is baptizo. Uh, it means to immerse. It means to plunge. It means to to dip. You, you you are to be fully submerged by water, so that water is all around you. I remember the first time I watched the movie The Passion of the Christ. If you've seen it, maybe you remember this scene. Uh, it, it, when this scene took place, I, w- I was kind of taken back a little bit. Uh, Jesus approaches John, and, and they have the dialogue that we just read from from the book of Matthew. And you see Jesus and John; they enter down into the water, and 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 I kind of think that this might be some cousin rivalry. I don't know between John and Jesus but they're standing there in the river and John just grabs Jesus and he just shoves him under the water. To this point in my life, baptism was always the baptizer taking the baptizee, that's some Michaelese there, um, by grabbing their hand and covering their nose with it and then laying them back gracefully and as carefully as they can, and then lifting them up out of the water. John's baptism of Jesus looked a lot like what I used to do in the pool at North Georgia Christian Camp. Let me just dunk you under. Baptism is the full immersion of the body underwater. Mark Moore says this about baptism, though. Baptism is not merely a symbol representing something else on earth, but rather a sacred reenactment on earth that accomplishes or reflects something happening in heaven. Baptism is a big deal. So from a biblical perspective, baptism comes on the scene. When you read through the Bible, if you just pick it up in Genesis and you start reading and you go through the First Testament or the Old Testament, you're not gonna know a thing about baptism. Then you get to the New Testament and and you see that early on, there's this guy named John, John the baptizer, and that's what he's doing. He's preaching about Jesus coming and he's baptizing people in, in water. And, and so from a biblical perspective, you don't know anything about baptism in the Old Testament. It's clearly a New Testament thing. But this is the second area I want us to discuss uh, about baptism is the Old Testament symbolism and its importance because here's the thing, God has used water to save people. And, and, and you can't deny it. When you read through the Old Testament, there are several instances where water was used to purify, where water was used to save mankind. The first one that comes to mind is early on in the, in the existence of the human race. People turned evil. This is found in uh, the early part of Genesis. People are just wicked. And God is fed up. He's actually got to the point of regret. He regretted even creating humans. And there was one family. And in, in all the earth, of all the people groups, of everything that was going on, there was one family. One family that God was like, these people... I find favor with. And that, of course, was Noah's family. And So God went to Noah and he says, I'm fed up with everybody. I'm going to wipe everybody from the face of the earth except you, your family. Noah, I want you to build a big boat. I want you to gather the animals, put them on board. And I am going to use a massive flood and I'm going to wipe away all the wickedness, all the evil. And I'm going to save your family. The symbolism of this is actually found in First Peter. If you, if you look, there's a summary of this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. This is a great passage. Peter writes, Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter writes about that event that took place and he says, Just as water saved Noah and his family, this baptism, and I'm just reading Peter's words, this baptism now saves you. And it's a response to God, and that's what baptism is and and so there's another story where God uses water to save people. Uh, if you are reading along if you're if you're following along in our core fifty two it's Exodus fourteen and fifteen is our weekly Bible reading. It's a familiar story, hopefully to you. Uh, I'm just going to kind of hit some of the highlights and to me it's one of the coolest miracles. And it's certainly one of the miracles that God did with his largest audience. Moses has gone into Egypt to challenge Pharaoh. And uh, he has told him that God wants his people to be set free. And after uh, a lot of uh, obstacles, Pharaoh finally gives in and the Israelites are allowed to leave. And God, in this miracle, allowed a few million people to cross the Red Sea on dry land. Uh, the people have been in the desert, they've been wandering there for a while. They're on their way to the Promised Land. You have the Red Sea in front of them. And then you have Pharaoh, whose heart is hardened and it has changed, coming up from behind. He's going to recapture uh, the Hebrew nation. The people are scared. What are we going to do? We can't go forward because it's the Red Sea and we can't go that way because Pharaoh and his massive army are coming. God says, watch this. He told, tells Moses to hold his hand over, over the water and the waters of the Red Sea just part. And a few million people walk across on dry land. And when they get to the, the other side as Pharaoh makes his army follow, God unleashes the water. All of the Israelites, I mean, all of the Egyptians died. And it says that the Israelites saw their bodies float up onto the shore. God uses water here to save them. But then read Exodus 15 because there's another cool story. The the people move on from this Red Sea and they're wandering in the desert. and, And they're on their way to to the promised land, but, but, but there's, there's not like a straight line that you follow. And so you're moving with a caravan of, of a few million people. And, and so three days pass from the Red Sea incident and the people cannot find anything to drink. I mean, they're in this desert region and it's three days and you cannot find water to drink. And I'll tell you this: I've, I've, I've read this uh, just this past week, medical journal after medical journal, all agree about three days is all that someone can last. You, you might make it to four. You, a few people might make it to five, but about three days is the is the normal time frame that you can go without water. And it is day number three, and there's millions of people in the desert and there's no water to be found then they come upon this oasis yes there's an oasis maybe there's a spring and there is a spring and they get there and they run and the spring is filthy it's it's bitter the water coming out of it is terrible and the people are fearful the people are on day three of being without water so God tells Moses, take a piece of wood and throw it into the spring, and it's going to purify the water, and there will be plenty. And these millions of people spent some time right here in this oasis, and they drank from this pure spring that God has provided for them. Two stories right here back to back, three stories right here that I've shared with you about how God has used water to save people, uh, this is summarized in First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, verses one through four. I'm not, I'm not going to read it, but you can check it out. Paul writes to the uh, church at Corinth about this scene, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, the people of Israel, man, they they crossed over on dry land. God saved them, and He used water to 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 kill the Egyptians, and then they're wandering in the desert, and 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 God purified the water to save these people again." But here's the cool thing. Here's the thing that I want you to take about these stories from the Old Testament. And and this is important for us, and it's certainly important for our next area that we're going to talk about. As God used water to save people, the result of saving them was leading them to become a new nation. As God was saving, using water to save people, as he was using water to save Noah, it was was to establish a new, righteous, God-fearing, God-seeking people group on earth. As God frees the Israelites from from the, the, the slavery, the bondage of Egypt, it's to set them up into the promised land to become a new Holy nation, a nation that fears God, a nation that seeks God first and foremost. Every time that water is used to save a people group, it is for the purpose of them becoming pure and holy and righteous. They are becoming a new creation. And so when you think about the New Testament understanding of baptism for the individual, we become a new creation. And so the symbolism of water used to save people in the Old Testament transition to water being a sacrament, to water being this sacred act for you and I. This is why baptism is so important, okay? This is the third area to discuss, the water, the act of baptism is so important to our life today. One of the last things that Jesus commanded his disciples, one of the last things he commanded them to do was to go into all the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, you remember this scene? Uh, it's the Great Commission. Matthew, uh, Matthew says that they're up on the mountaintop, and Jesus has got his followers there, and and he gives them these instructions: You're going to go into the world. You're going to make disciples. You're going to baptize them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and then we we turn the page, and we get to the book of Acts of and uh, Acts chapter one talks about the ascension, and and Luke summarizes what what Matthew and Mark. Uh, talk about uh, at this Great Commission moment. And he's like, Jesus is saying, hey, we're gonna, we, we're going, Jesus says that you're gonna stay here in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. And then Jesus ascends. And so what happens next, Jesus leaves. What happens next is uh, the next chapter of God using people to reach the world. And so when Jesus steps out, the next chapter begins. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is the story of God starting the church. And then the church being launched into the world or scattered abroad. And within the stories of the book of Acts, there are nine major conversions Now there's Peter and his encounters. There's Philip and there's Paul. These men have all dispersed from Jerusalem because God sends them out. And these people start sharing the gospel with different people. And and, in all of the scenarios, the scenarios are different. But as people hear the gospel and they hear the love of Jesus, each conversion story has one detail in common. Baptism was done immediately following the conviction of surrendering one's life to Jesus. It was done right away. Baptism was done immediately. And and here's the thing we must understand, church, there's not a command anywhere that says, upon surrendering your life to Jesus, you must stop what you are doing and get baptized. There's not a command that tells us to do that. However, in all the stories It's the first thing that was done. When there was conviction, baptism followed. And why is this important? Why is this such an important detail? Well, Acts 2, 37 and 38 tell us. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the beginning of the story of this next chapter that I'm talking about, where God is about to unleash his disciples to go into the world. It's the day of Pentecost. The disciples are about to participate in the the festivities of the day. Uh, they woke up that day and they had this in mind of we're just going to go down here and we're going to do what we've always done on the day of Pentecost. But then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Peter, Peter especially stands up and he starts preaching and he starts telling the crowd that you are the ones who put Jesus on the cross. You are the ones that crucified Jesus. Verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized as Jesus commands us to be, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus told his disciples about the Holy Spirit back in John chapter 16. He told his disciples that you having the Holy Spirit is better for you than me, Jesus, being present in your lives. I'm going to give you this helper. I'm going to give you this advocate. This advocate that's going to live within you. It is to your benefit that you have the Holy Spirit. And church, when you are baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So why then, why would we ever want to delay the opportunity for the presence of God to enter our lives? Why would we ever put that off? In the book of Acts, baptism was so important that it was done immediately. And upon doing that, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? We, 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 We shortchange the Holy Spirit, I believe, a lot. And we've we've got to get over that. We have been given this amazing gift by God, and it's the gift of the Holy Spirit into our lives, and it takes place at baptism. And that is why, in the book of Acts, baptism was done immediately. And so it's your baptism, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives within your person. And here's the cool thing about this. This move by God of saying, I want you to have the Holy Spirit. This is God saying, I want to have a personal relationship with you. But there's another benefit for us receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's another benefit that we need to to know about, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we all acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory church our salvation is sealed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and having the Holy Spirit living within us is the guarantee of our inheritance that is why baptism is so important We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit when we are baptized. And having the Holy Spirit living in us guarantees our inheritance. So the fourth detail um, to share about baptism plays off of this importance. All right? And it's a warning. Okay? Some churches put so much emphasis on baptism that we start to believe This is the end game. Like, once people get baptized, we've accomplished what Jesus commanded. We can move on to the next person or we can move on, you know, to to the next prospect who, who needs Jesus. Church baptism is important, but it's not the end of the journey as many people are guilty of making it. Baptism is the beginning Of the discipleship journey, and so this is the fourth and final thing that we say about baptism. We've covered this for for uh, we've covered this a lot this year. The goal of every believer should be that we want to become like Jesus. It's found all throughout the New Testament, the teachings of Paul, the teachings of Peter. You should become like Jesus. You should become like the thing that you're created like God. I should desire for my life to reflect Jesus as much as possible. Paul told the church, uh, the Galatian church, uh, in chapter 2, verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When Michael surrendered to Jesus, the old Michael was crucified. Even though I was 13 years old, even though I was still relatively young and relatively naive about life and about the temptations that I would come to, the old Michael who did not have Jesus was crucified. Today, it is not that Michael who lives, but it is Christ living in me. It's the Holy Spirit now here's the thing. Baptism is important, but it's the beginning of the journey, not the end of the journey. And I want as I become like Jesus, I want my life to reflect him. And it's not a it's it's not a, an immediate change. It's not like a, I came up out of the waters at 13 years old and uh people looked at me a week later and said, "Man, look at that. His character who he is reflects Jesus. And I still had some habits. I still had some things going on. Uh, new temptations came into my life that didn't exist. And when I was 13, these temptations, you know, reared themselves in my life in my late teens and in my twenties and, and, and temptations change. I still desire for my life to reflect Jesus. And, and there's this process that the Bible refers to as sanctification of me becoming like him and that's that's my goal for my life. I want to become like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 says, uh, "Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God." Church, we are created to be like God. And 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 it's not with the the powers, it's his character truly righteous and holy. But don't miss the detail that Paul writes here. Our thoughts and attitudes, our character, they are renewed when we surrender them to the Spirit. This happens, when this happens, our new nature shines. We are created to reflect God. We're created to be like Him. Righteous and holy. This is only achieved with the assistance of the Holy Spirit living in us. Baptism, church, is not the end game. Baptism is the next step in the process of us moving to the desired place that God wants for us, and that is the place of looking like His Son of reflecting Jesus to a world who is lost. It's, baptism is a significant deal in the life of the church. We must remember its place and importance in our lives. We must remember the importance it plays in the lives of the people who I know you are building relationships with. don't have the same Holy Spirit living within them. We must know, church, that what happens after someone is baptized is equally important. And God desires to use you. Yes, you. God desires to use you to help others to become like him. It starts with developing a faith which comes from hearing the gospel message. Will you tell someone about Jesus? Will you allow the power found within the word of God to convict other people, to bring them to that same place that Peter's crowd on the day of Pentecost came to? What must I do next? You're to repent of your sins, and you're to be baptized. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to live within you as you become the temple. And the Holy Spirit, as you surrender to the Holy Spirit, it's going to change who you are so that you become like Him. So church, I hope you take the command that Jesus gave us, and you live it out, not for your benefit, but so that others can have what you have. Until next week, we'll see you.